Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Discography, brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark with a C. I'm an independent musician and lifelong record geek. Discography is a show in which I wade through the entirety of an artist's canon releases to see how it all stacks up. And to kick off, I've chosen one of the hardest to penetrate artists in the history of music, Frank Zappa. This is the fifth episode in that series. Discography exists to inform and educate listeners who really want to know. All opinions belong solely to me, Mark with a C, because everything is subjective. Frank Zappa was an American composer, and he's either going to alienate you or you'll want to build a statue in tribute to him. In our first four episodes, we've covered well over 40 official releases all released in Frank's lifetime, and we've gone by the Zappa Family Trust numbering system, which according to Frank is supposed to add up to one gigantic song when laid and listened to end to end. And this seemed like the greatest time to do it because those ZFT sanctioned CDs released through Universal are reportedly the best sounding digital versions of Frank's material to date, and with such a massive catalog, this is a rare period where nearly every release is in print. Now we're gonna stop at ZFT release number 63, which is called Civilization, which was released just a little bit after Frank passed away, but it was definitely something that Frank completely worked on in his lifetime, brought it to a close. Um, It's pretty much the end of the big song, as it were. Though, well, stay tuned, I got more to say about that. Anyways, I absorbed around two albums per week in preparation for this undertaking. We, oh god, what have we covered? The earliest official recordings with The Mothers, um, all the way up to 1988. The Mothers of Invention had a fluctuating lineup and eventually became a name that didn't really seem to mean all that much. I'll talk about that later. Uh, Frank's flavor, direction, musicality, and socio-political commentary become clearer with each passing album, and here's the nutshell version of some things you might want to know about Frank Zappa if you're just joining us for the first time. There is a pervasive rumor that he ate human feces on stage. Some of the rumors say that it was in the middle of a gross-out contest with Alice Cooper and Beefheart, but anyways, it never happened. Though Frank let the urban legend exist, never you know, shut it down to my knowledge because he understood how important those things could be. Now, as I was saying, there's often very little difference between albums attributed to Frank Zappa or Frank and the Mothers of Invention. Eventually, I think it was realized that he'd sometimes sell more records when he used the Mothers moniker, and that probably explains its occasional reemergence. Each member was important in their own way, but if you take Frank away, the Mothers don't have any music to play. 
So no matter how much I tell you about Frank autobiographically, probably won't matter. Once he got going on his quest to document everything that life had to offer, very little didn't inform his big song. Now, Frank claimed that if you stuck all of his releases together end to end, you had one gigantic composition. So that means that his birth in 1941 in Maryland, his first marriage, then his second marriage to Gail, where he had all the children with the wacky names, these things might have mattered to Frank the guy, but they also informed Frank the artist. And whatever Frank the artist wanted you to know about him was in the big song. And nothing was sacred or off limits. He lived to compose, and composition could mean just stringing pretty dots together to see what they'd sound like later, or it could mean making secret tape recordings of his backing band, because I guess Frank saw it like, if they're in the band, then any sound they make is part of the music, right? And uh, sure, he fought the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center, and he chronicled his impressions on the Mothers of Prevention album. He also worked tirelessly to keep his audience informed and registered to vote which we heard on the album Broadway the Hard Way. He even helped to cool Soviet and US relations during the Cold War just to help his records get further distribution. At least that's where that began. All of those things are interesting and probably deserve a podcast of their own to focus on them. But yet only the important parts to Frank would be chronicled in his big song. And with so much time spent composing and recording, his life kinda truly was the song and vice versa. So anything not brought up in the music is almost a breach of privacy because how much is this guy supposed to give you? So here's the trigger warning. I, I just have to do this. Anybody familiar with Frank will understand why I'm saying this. Frank, as an American composer, and musical anthropologist pulls no punches. At some point, he is going to offend you. And at one point, as you may have heard in the last episode, I was even considering jumping off the train myself. Frank was a huge proponent for free speech, and he would probably balk at the fact that I'm giving a content warning in 2018. His feeling was that there was no combination of words that could actively hurt your life, but he also passed away before the advent of Tumblr and Twitter and call-out culture. So far, we have covered a bunch of Frank's phases, really nearly all of them, from his early days with the classic Mothers of Invention lineup, to the releases in his vaudeville period with the Turtles, to his controversial contractual obligation records for Warner Brothers, where initially he gave them a four-disc set called Lather, also pronounced leather, depending on who you're talking to, and those records were chopped up and released sort of differently. And, uh... We've covered Frank working with many different orchestras, as well as his leanings with a complex early synthesizer named the Synclavier. He's had surprise hits now with uh, Don't Eat the Yellow Snow and Valley Girl, and by now, Frank is a fully independent artist. And we left off just as Frank had launched his 1988 band, a huge band that disintegrated pretty rapidly but with a clutch of killer new tunes on 1988's Broadway The Hard Way album. And Frank had been also releasing live albums from all of his incarnations in an anthology series called You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore. It's almost as if the big song is starting to get into its final reprisals. Things are gonna get weird and possibly a bit repetitive, but when the music is this brilliant, who cares? So are you ready? That's a trick question.
you're never ready for Frank Zappa. Let's go. Get your butt out there and register to vote, would you please? See you in a half an hour. Week 32, ZFT CD number 54, You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore, Volume 3, released by Frank Zappa in November of 1989. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, my son, Dweezil. The Dweez! Dweezil is going to play the guitar solo on a song from the Vemorus album called Charlena. Star Galactica? If somehow you're following along with my travels through the big song, trying to experience it in the exact same way, let me just say what we're both thinking with this album. This is getting a little tedious now. That's not to say that there aren't some incredibly cool moments. Uh, little would even constitute as not good. But this compilation of more live performances doesn't feel like we're furthering anything much along. The first half dives into a slew of jams from Frank's Them or Us era group, and I've seen that that 1984 ensemble just isn't held in terribly high regard, and to me it seems like the average night of material was actually rather bland than rather than the performances themselves. It was more like the, the set lists weren't terribly exciting. But anyways, we kick off with a new take on Charlena, which we first heard on Chunka's Revenge and then Them or Us. And it contains an absolutely scorching guitar duel between Frank and his son Dweezel, which leads us into Bamboozled by Love, another not terribly exciting tune, but brought to life by a new arrangement featuring some very cool stacked vocal harmony and another ripping guitar foray over the chord changes to Owner of a Lonely Heart? It, it works better in practice than it sounds, I, I promise you. And we're also led into reprisals of Lucila's Mess My Mind Up from Joe's Garage and Advance Romance from Bongo Fury. Now, neither one feels essential, but they are certainly somewhat interesting takes on material that wouldn't maybe be on the forefront of any Zappa fan's mind. Unfortunately, the super cheeseball 80s tones are on display during each and every track, and if you're not down with those canned sounds, this is just not going to be a pleasurable part of this big song for you. But it's halfway through Advanced Romance that a theme arises. This band was best at entertaining themselves first. Nearly every single song contains a band member breaking from their duties to double over in laughter. And sometimes it's due to a tossed in high old silver, or occasionally it's from an invisible event that will just have to imagine. It's great to hear them having such a great time, but it's also not the kind of thing one would reach for to rock out to terribly often. And I mean it when I say that this crops up all over the disc. It's just one guffaw after another. And maybe this is the 200 motels sort of touring can make you crazy mindset in action. That seems like the through line here, unless Frank really thought that a version of Keep It Greasy with nearly every other line being obscured by laughter was somewhat definitive, of course. 
but there are some moments that we haven't heard anything like before. There's a, the so dumb it's fun, ride my face to Chicago. There's the heavy and inscrutable doo-wop reggae of Carol, You Fool, and Chaina in the Bushwop, which is a mysterious little track inspired by a story that one of Frank's daughters had told him when she was quite young. Now, none of these tracks are among the most striking Zappa compositions, but the freshness of the new tracks really helps to move things along, even at a relatively glacial pace. And the 1984 set is rounded off by two cuts from Joe's Garage, which sound to have become major concert favorites by this point, if the roar of the crowd is any indication. Why does it hurt when I think? Why does it hurt when I be? I don't want that doctor to stick that Utah in me. Now, things do get a bit more interesting on the second disc of You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore, Volume 3. On the last album, Broadway The Hard Way, we'd been introduced to Dickie's Such an Asshole, which was a song written in the 70s but first premiered in 1988, and of course it's about Richard Nixon, but now we take a time warp right back to the 1974-ish Roxy-era band doing that very same track with a rendition that absolutely crushes the version we last heard. This bluesy tune was just built for Napoleon Murphy Brock to deliver, and that slides right into a drum solo, <laughs> courtesy of Terry Bazio, and a gorgeous reading of Zuda Lures, which is sliced from two totally different eras and tours, which is a somewhat recurring theme as this volume goes on. There's some great reprisals of material from You Are What You Is that follow until we get a few cuts from a show in Italy where the band continues to play on despite being choked out by tear gas. And frankly, I'd have liked to hear a bit more from that gig because the band's holding up especially well despite the adverse circumstances, especially as they perform the rather unfortunately titled tune, um, how should I say this, N-word biz? I mean, you can actually hear tear gas canisters being shot into the audience during some of those tracks. You are a doctor or a lawyer You've got an office with a foyer Where the cocaine decision that you made today Can you discover till it's over and done By the customers you hold it day it must have been absolute bedlam in that stadium, and I would have loved to hear more representing it rather than just the two songs where the show went south due to, well, depending on which story you're reading at the time, it's either a completely overzealous police force or a crowd that was turning ugly. No matter. We wrap up with a strange take on King Kong from Uncle Meat that begins in 1982 and ends with a portion of the rendition given at the 1971 gig where Frank was knocked off the stage and badly injured. I mean, it basically crushed his larynx and that's how he got the deep voice. And then we get another take on Cosmic Debris, seemingly so things don't end on such a downer. This volume of the live series feels a bit patched together, like a bunch of disconnected ideas that might be more enjoyable on their own than as part of a whole. The first disc makes sense as a showcase for the somewhat scrappy and underrated 1984 band, but the second half doesn't seem to have any real aim at all. 
One could surmise that this was proof that Frank himself was feeling a bit aimless in the realm of popular music around this time, but that's also assuming that Frank was one to wear his heart on his sleeve. And he ain't got no heart to give away. The official ZFT CD sounds pretty nice, actually a bit better than either of the first two entries into this series, at least to these ears. It's nice and full, dispensing with some of the some of the shrill frequencies that were showing up a lot at the time. It's a shame that it doesn't feel like it adds up to much, but we do fade out into a screaming audience, and I have a feeling that a bit of a path is just about to open up. I know. Week 33, ZFT CD 55. The best band you never heard in your life, released by Frank Zappa in April of 1991. Jump right back to the 1988 group, kicking off with a super groovy vamp on Heavy Duty Judy in a package built from that 88 tour to seemingly resemble what any random show on that tour might have been like to an attendee. You get running jokes and secret words, though it's pieced together from numerous dates, this feels more like an entire Zappa gig than almost anything else we've experienced in the big song. Barring ZFT 52, You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore, Volume 2, which were, was recorded at a set of shows in Helsinki, of course, for obvious reasons. Early on in this show, Frank explains that Johnny Cash almost joined them on stage that night, but he decided to perform a reggae version of Ring of Fire without him. Mike Keneally does the best impression he can muster despite only knowing one verse worth of lyrics, and from there we jump into a veritable tour through highlights and reprisals from earlier in the big song. Another cosmic debris, Find Her Finer, and Who Needs the Peace Corps? The latter of which runs into an unexpected snippet of I Left My Heart in San Francisco. The musical jokes that Frank Zappa loved to use by popping in bits of other tunes run at an all-time high in this big song installment. After a pretty ripping take on Zombie Wolf, there's another unexpected turn with a big band cover of Ravel's Bolero. Word is that Zappa tried very hard to get this released as a single in Europe, which seems like an especially esoteric decision even for him, but rights prevented him from doing so. In fact, if you're trying to follow along with this big song in many European countries, your copy of this album may not even have that song at all. And it's followed up by a beautiful take on Zoo Delores, which is quite interesting as Frank's guitar is much, much cleaner than it's ever been, which makes a rather delicate song even more sparkly than it was in the first place. And then we're back into that run of reprisals. There's a take on Mr. Green Jeans that I might even prefer to the original. It just seems built for Ike Willis's voice. Plus four tracks in a row from One Size Fits All. And it's really a testament to this 1988 group that they could handle Inca Rhodes in such a way that it sounds practically effortless while being one of Frank's harder tunes to get just right.
another run-through of Sofa, we start to get into much, much stranger territory, with Frank taking on covers of Purple Haze and Sunshine of Your Love, and they're very sample-heavy, bordering on industrial takes on these classic rock staples. Ike Willis delivers the lyrics in his Amos and Andy-inspired Thangfish voice, aided by the reoccurrence of the Johnny Cash impression, and you just sort of have to accept the weirdness of it all. It doesn't make much sense, and absurd deconstruction that seems as if it was all just for fun. And we're guided back into reprisal territory with a much more expansive sounding rendition of Let's Move to Cleveland than the last one we'd heard, and the horn section really kills it on this one. That one riff that sounds like it was lifted from Peaches and Regalia helps the sort of retrospective feel of this set. But Frank comes in with his most jaw-dropping solo on the disc yet. A few more musical themes are quickly blazed through before someone named Brother A. West shows up to chide Mr. Zappa for his takes on democracy, attempting to add some quote-unquote balance to the show. Even at four minutes, it still overstays its welcome. It's a neat diversion while not really adding much at all, but it does help us to segue into a gigantic ending that provides us with a very neat reprisal of The Torture Never Stops, which is more experimental in nature than it's ever been. As this isn't a straight reading, it weaves through the theme to Bonanza and Lonesome Cowboy Burt from 200 Motels. Only all of the lyrics have been changed to reference Jimmy Swaggart's scandal with a prostitute. Ditto for our fourth take so far on Trouble Every Day. And ditto for what is now our third run-through of Penguin and Bondage. Many of these lyrical changes seem to be done on the spot, and the vocalists do just as much laughing as they do singing. In the frostbite night with the flaps going white Shrinking as you spot the hoop across the room There it goes again. It's that hoop. <laughs> We wrap up with a completely unexpected reading of the Eric Dolphy Memorial Barbecue with a completely unhinged percussion solo that leads into a hint of Blue Danube, which actually might rival the Weasel's Rip My Flesh version as definitive. And I'm sure it must have shocked everyone in the audience when Frank pulled that one out of the bag seemingly at random. But then if you can believe it, the indisputable highlight of this set shows up in the form of a cover of Stairway to Heaven. There's an ideal show All that glitters is gone And she's buying the stairway to heaven it begins kind of reggae and explodes into a section where the horn crew does Jimmy Page's solo with pinpoint accuracy, then further explodes into a rousing finale. I'm admittedly not crazy about this song in the first place, but Frank's take on it is as shocking as a masterclass and how to polish even the most overplayed song into something new and exciting. The best band you never heard in your life is a very accurate title. Other groups that Frank had had might have been more interesting in some regards, but this large ensemble really could do pretty much anything that Frank came up with, and they do it quite well. In fact, it borders on being a bit too perfect, which makes some of the laughter breaks a bit welcome, breathing some life into what could otherwise come close to seeming rather sterile. And the ZFT-approved CD sounds quite nice, though it seems to mirror the original mastering, so there's not really that much to compare it to. 
And we're getting very close to what'll be referred to as the end of the song. And these reprisals are still feeling quite tedious. One wishes for more unfamiliar material, and knowing that there's still a few volumes worth of the You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore series to go through doesn't fill me with excitement. It's my hope that these reprisals of earlier material will start feeling just a touch more whirlwind soon to bring us to a satisfying conclusion. Fingers crossed. Week number 34, ZFT CD number 56, You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore, Volume 4, released by Frank Zappa in June of 1991. Thank you. Okay, sit down. Some more raw, unbridled buffoonery for you and yours during this festive holiday season. A year ago today was when you went away. But now you come back knocking on my door. And you say you're back to stay, but I say, I don't need you. I don't want you. Ooh, neat reprise of the Go Cry on Someone Else's Shoulder intro to kick off this live version of Little Rubber Girl, which seems to be a semi-improvised piece of doo-wop about a lonely person device. It's an interesting sort of reprisal. A lot of them have been new readings of previous songs, but this is a reinvention of an earlier theme, sort of like when that Peaches riff shows up in Let's Move to Cleveland. I can get behind this. And that rolls us into Stick Together, My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama, and Willie the Pimp, all from the 1984 group. And each rendition's a bit stunted and, well, kind of by the numbers, but Willie the Pimp works especially well with a tighter and more to the point arrangement. Not that it supplants the original by any stretch, but it's a real cool take with an especially cutting reading of the original riff, though I can't tell precisely what's replaced the original violin. Just sounds really neat. Even neater is the segue into Montana that effortlessly slides from a 1984 recording to a 1973 version. In fact, if you're not looking at the liner notes, you might not even notice the xenocrony in action. Now this all has a nice musical flow, but it feels more like musical review, a recap of sorts, than something that's pushing a big song forward. Especially when you slide into the tedium of not one but two Thangfish tracks, complete with Ike's narration. Those are Brown Moses and Evil Prince. Oddly, while they still don't captivate me, it actually does seem to work better in a rock band context than it ever did on the Thingfish album. I even, well, I kind of dig this version of Brown Moses. I mean, great harmonies. The daddy were negligible, the mama were deflatable, the trauma to the infant, been mostly not negatable, you were to be exited. From there, other than a slice of early atonal mother's material known as You Call That Music, and a very, very strange take on Take Me Out to the Ball Game, which leads into a fantastic 1988 reading of the sorely underrated instrumental from Sleep Dirt called Filthy Habits, it plays just like a highlight reel of things we've heard before. It's all cool but tedious and feels mostly unnecessary for the duration of the first half. 
Almost as if this is the catch-all for the bits that didn't fit the other volumes of the You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore series. Unless they carry on in this manner, of course. It's not bad, it just doesn't feel like it's adding or detracting from the big song. It's just there to continue it. To make it longer. Makes me wonder if this would be a cooler 12-disc compilation if it had actually just been arranged chronologically, but then what would they have done with the tracks that were pieced together from multiple performances, and would anyone have actually wanted the four or so discs that would have come from, say, 1984? There's a method to this madness, but it absolutely only serves to extend the gigantic song. This volume, while containing a take of The Torture Never Stops, which consists of one riff repeated for nine minutes while Captain Beefheart lays down the lyrics, just doesn't feel as if we're going anywhere. Just sort of spinning our wheels. The second half does lead more towards things that I'd hoped for from this series. Things that could have only happened with musicians and an audience that's on the same wavelength. Things like church chat, which is Zappa parodying the speech patterns of televangelists to assure the audience that there is no such thing as hell, only France. Disliking France is coming up more and more now that I think about it. And then there's Tiny Sick Tears, which is a piece that simultaneously lampoons the song 96 Tears and Jim Morrison's sexual rants. And then there's The Booger Man, which is a George Duke story about a road manager that asked George to do precisely what the title implies. Other things we've heard before are just as good as ever. Outside Now is still beautiful in its sullen and withdrawn feel, and Stevie's spanking is still home to some of the best blues rock soloing that you're going to run across in your lifetime. The trouble is that there's 34 tracks here, and very, very little feels as if it's completely indispensable. I hope that this series picks up, because it's beginning to be a bit of a slog by now. This volume is nicely capped off by a run of more doo-wop-inspired music, which does seem like a nice love letter to some of the tones that most inspired Frank in his teenage years. The ZFT-approved issue of this disc sounds completely on par with other releases from the You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore series. I'm finding less and less to say about them, because they're so par for the course that it's safe to say that to love one volume is to love them all. It's also the very definition of an embarrassment of riches. Thank you for coming to the show. Good night. Week 35, ZFT CD number 57, Make a Jazz Noise Here, released by Frank Zappa in June of 1991. Man, he did not slow down. With Make a Jazz Noise here, we return to the 1988 band one more time for a section that leans heavily on instrumental and relatively experimental work, and truthfully, this bit was what I needed after the last few releases. 
We're getting into the territory of so many reprisals of earlier themes that I'm just starting to get a bit sick of them. And unless I'm projecting, Frank himself sounds a little bit bored on the opening version of Stinkfoot. He even diverts from the track to harangue Ed Mann for getting the intro to Dickie's Such an Asshole wrong at one point, and letting him practice it on stage. And as I have an inkling of what's coming in the next few releases, I hear a bit of foreshadowing. I'm not sure if I've ever made this totally clear here, but Frank was able to bring the Synclavier with him on the 1988 tour and seemed to use it like a primitive sampler most times. This is highly evident in a new piece called When Yuppies Go to Hell. Well, rather it's new in the sense of the title, but it's really just a bunch of crazy explorations made up of musical themes from Pound for a Brown, which we originally heard on Uncle Meat. But the samples that drop in? What sounds like a televangelist drops in with plenty of cries of go to hell in differing keys. And those classic snorks that we've heard so many times over this big song? Well, now they're available anytime Frank wants to have one at the mere touch of a button. This type of experimentation is really exciting right now in the song because I've been highly missing the big, mostly instrumental pieces that you can just sort of get lost in, like your big Swifty or your Eat That Question type of material. Not just on When Yuppies Go to Hell, but also through the duration of this release. If you've heard the specific song before, they're probably doing something a little bit unexpected with it here. And when the aforementioned When Yuppies Go to Hell piece segues into another riff on the Pound for a Brown theme in Fire and Change, it's done for the good of an absolutely stunning guitar solo with a tone very, very similar to the classic sound of Frank's guitar razors. There may be a bit more heft rather than the cutting mid-range, but it's close enough to remind us of where we've been and also gives us uh, something a little bit new and different. This band does amazing work with some classic tunes in a medley of Let's Make the Water Turn Black, Harry You're a Beast, and the Orange County Lumber Truck, all done instrumentally with the horn section leading the forefront melodies, which is especially effective in the first track that I mentioned, really driving home just how unforgettable that melody line is. And these run into a new reading of Oh No, with Ike Willis on vocals and back into a reprise of Orange County Lumber Truck. It must have been thrilling to be at one of these gigs while Frank unleashed these tunes he hadn't played in years in completely unpredictable ways. Like, who would have thought he'd have such a large band rip into the surfy cowboy intro theme to Lumpy Gravy, for example? And then a two-minute excursion into Eat That Question leading into Black Napkins with the horn section doing the bulk of the old classic guitar solo? This is some really, really cool territory, and those folks on the brass really steal the show at every turn. we've got this band taking on the ever-expanding King Kong from Uncle Mead, complete with random spoken interjections, which really seem to be for the benefit of visual entertainment for the folks watching the gig, as they don't really add much to the listening experience, and actually it's a bit distracting. At this point, Frank had done so much with these tunes for so many years that he might have needed it for his own amusement, hence all of the pirate noises and 
an otherwise very cool rendition of Big Swifty, which also inexplicably segues into the 1812 overture. <laughs> We're treated to another air-sculpted guitar workout in the freeform Star Wars won't work before heading into what's known as the New Age version of the Black Page. Notorious for being one of Frank's most difficult compositions for humans to play. And this brings us to a point in the record where it's actually a cooler listen if you aren't looking at the track list. I mean, sure, you might be excited to see the return of Dupree's Paradise and whatnot, but all of these pieces flow together so well that it's best to just let it wash over you. If you listen blindly, you'll get rewarded with things you didn't see coming, like City of Tiny Lights with a brand new pacing, hints of Bartok, and elements of the never-fully-released Sinister Footwear Suite. Of course, for seemingly no good reason, you also get Stevie's spanking. Again. Nothing terribly notable happens in this, the third appearance of the song. It's just sort of a, hey, let's boogie moment in the big song, but the reprisals are happening far too close in proximity to each other to have a real impact on me. More successful is the slightly more faithful reprisal of Cruisin' for Burgers from Uncle Meat than the last guitar-centric version we heard on Zappa in New York, and Ike's voice is really built to handle this early mother's material effortlessly. since this is built to approximate a 1988 show, you know they gotta end with some old favorites. The most interesting version of Advanced Romance I've heard yet, where the horns do some very devious things with what otherwise feels like pretty standard blues, and a nice good night with Strictly Genteel from 200 Motels. I've made peace with the fact that from here until I get to ZFT 63, a posthumous release, but the last fully realized album of new material Frank would complete in his lifetime, to my knowledge, we're mostly going to be revisiting earlier themes and adding more to the existing mythology. I'd hope that there would be a bit more payoff to the constant reworkings, and there's still time for that to happen. It's just been hit or miss for quite a while. That's not to say that Make a Jazz Noise here is bad, nor are any of these surrounding records. It's just that they're not really adding anything for me. They're just making it longer, as I've said before, and I see on the next release that I'm going to start getting some new music from older lineups, and that's kind of the light at the end of the rather repetitive tunnel for me at the moment. The ZFT CD issue of Make a Jazz Noise Here sounds just as good as all the other 1988-era recordings. Very clear, a little bit more usage of a limiter than I'd have preferred, and truly sounds like it's missing a lot of digital bottom, which wasn't abnormal for the time when Frank put this together. It's the best we've got, but I'm sure that if someone went back to the source material, they could really give this album a good spit shine. It's not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but it's very, very good. Week 36, ZFT CD number 58, You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore, Volume 5, released by Frank Zappa in July of 1992. 
The kids are freaking out. Everybody is going nuts. We zoom right back to 1966 and to the original lineups of the Mothers for a 70-minute collage from that lineup. It's pure culture shock to return to the rough edges and the experimental sounds after so much slick stuff in a row. Not a bad thing. But even when Frank was directing whichever band to color outside of the lines, they still did it while knowing their stuff, while the Mothers were just weird. It's a badly needed shakeup right now in the big song, and I am glad it's happening. And it kicks off with the Downtown Talent Scout, a straight-ahead blues that wouldn't have been out of place next to Trouble Every Day on Freak Out. We delve into the agencies that were spying on the kids in the freak communities in 1966 with what might be the earliest Blow Your Harmonica, Son. Frank's anger at the authorities is palpable as his own encounters with the police, written about in great detail in the real Frank Zappa book, inspired many, many tunes. And if I were a betting man, I'd say it's the backbone for a number of tracks here. But after that harmonica, the tape cuts to Charles Ives, which is an odd little piece that showed up in Did You Get Any Anya from Weasel's Rip My Flesh way back around 1970 or so, and even on a very famous Captain Beefheart record. Strange how these collection of long-held notes, ahs, and yips could be so pervasive, but it leads us into another tune we haven't heard from this band. It's called Here Lies Love, which was the original B-side to WPLJ, the cover song from Weasels Rip My Flesh. And the conceptual continuity is strong in this collage already. This disc is another one that'll benefit the listener greatly if they avoid following the track list and just enjoy it as a continuous piece. The mini ballets and experimental chocolate halva blur together better when you don't know what's coming next or where something's supposed to be ending or beginning, especially as the album devolves into recorded chatter recorded on the road. These types of clips have been hinted at before and even shown in practice, but have rarely been such a focus. But now, now it's a feature. It harkens back to the piano people of Lumpy Gravy, to bits of the dialogue from 200 Motels. We haven't heard it for so long in this long song that some may have even forgotten that it was a component. These mothers are singing Hank Williams songs on the bus, chatting about cigarettes and taping their penises together when they aren't on stage making strange noises. Euclid, get up! The first disc of this collection isn't really worth breaking down in great detail for the reasons that I explained. If you like the sounds of the early mothers and the cut-up style of some of the early records, you're going to feel right at home here. And this is where we're starting to bring it full circle. Sure, there's reprisals, even another take on Trouble Every Day, and strangely, a studio cut of My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama, which could not be more drastically different in feel from the one we already know from Weasel's Rip My Flesh. My guitar wants to kill your mama. My guitar wants to kill your mama. My guitar wants to burn your dad. But wait, that's only half the collection. The other half is an approximation of a gig from the 1982 band in which Frank cuts off the show prematurely due to people throwing things. And not that I blame him, but man, 
This is getting horrifically repetitive. Just as I really needed that early Mother's material to shake things up and keep me engaged with this big song, the last thing that I wanted right now was more reprisals of Advance Romance, Pound for a Brown, and City of Tiny Lights. These constant revisions, which are becoming less and less interesting no matter how much of a facelift the band gives the tracks, are making me lose a little bit of interest. They come on and I'm just mentally checking out, writing a grocery list or thinking of errands that I need to run. This could be a statement about the repetitive habits of Frank playing the same songs every night for years and years, and if so, message received, but sometimes it just feels like padding. Is anyone, anyone out there saying, oh, oh man, yeah. my, my favorite, favorite advanced, advanced romance is from You Can't Do That On Stage, stage anymore, anymore, Volume, volume five. 5. If so, I'm sh just happy to shut my pie hole about the repetition, but again, just feels unnecessary. But don't let that turn you off because you're gonna get some really fantastic material you've not heard before here, especially Dead Girls of London, which is a rock and roll gem about towns with the least amount of groupies, I think. And the proto-easy listening of Shall We Take Ourselves Seriously is pretty cool too. A welcome and fiery take on Redunzel appears, as well as a reprisal of Maggio, which I think might have... I might have underrated it at first on The Man From Utopia. As a composition, the track is mind-boggling, and it's hard to imagine anyone ever mastering this tune and feeling anything less than totally accomplished. Yeah, I can see getting ticked off in an audience for throwing stuff at me when I'm trying to concentrate on getting Maggio right. You've made your point, Frank. The ZFT-approved issue sounds pretty much as good as the rest of the You Can't Do This on Stage Anymore series, though the 60s material is shockingly clear with wider stereo separation than one might be expecting most times. I'm just... I'm just excited to move on. Okay, if you throw anything else on the stage, the concert is over. House lights, the concert's over. Week 37, ZFT CD, number 59, You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore, Volume 6, released by Frank Zappa in July of 1992. It is necessary for me to tell you at this point that there is a clause in our contract here tonight that says if anything nasty happens on stage, terrible things happen to us. So... We just, we just want to assure you that our only interest here is doing a swell job for you. When the last disc ended, Frank had just angrily stormed off stage, but now the big song picks right back up and it's just sex. That's it. Live versions of sex-oriented Zappa classics. And quite a bit more banter than there's ever been in this series. Frank takes time to explain the significance of the ever-present poodle in an intro to Dirty Love, and it's not for the faint of heart. Really, very little of Frank's vocal material is, but this segment is especially alienating if you prefer when he just sticks to the music without words. We take a sped-up trip through the uber-70s rock of magic fingers. We go a bit deeper into that obsession with sniffing female undergarments. A third reprisal of the boogie-woogie, known as, uh, Honey, Don't You Want a Man Like Me, and Father Oblivion, which 
does have its graphic lines, but it wasn't the first thing I would have expected for a 70-minute excursion into Frank's fractured takes on sexy time. As he stumbled on his cock. Oh, Lord, he was delighted when it stiffened and it ripped right through his sock. We spend quite a while with Frank taking Peter Frampton to task, making fun of his I'm In You record, which is clearly done to set up I Have Been In You from Shake Your Booty, and just as that tune is about to kick in, we get a raw take on I'm So Cute instead. That intro line of I Knew You'd Be Surprised was certainly prophetic in this case. Musically, this isn't a very surprising segment. Not much happens that we haven't heard a variation on before. Plenty of vocalists we recognize, like Ike Willis, Ray White, Flo and Eddie, etc. And even though some of these songs have been around for a number of years, Frank seems again to favor recordings from the 80s, which puts those cheesy synthesizers front and center. When we get to a reading of Shove It Right In from 200 Motels, and a version that isn't interrupted by orchestral interludes from other scenes every two minutes, the sounds of real analog equipment really shine through. Ditto for the unexpectedly present and fearless vocals on Wind Up Working in a Gas Station from Bianca Odin in an already very different version than the one we'd previously heard from Zuda Lures. musical gem, there's usually another movement which just sets up banter, allows the audience to make a sex noise, or the band will just moan and play samples of real or simulated orgasms. The latter has the longest lineage of conceptual continuity, as recording audio porn is what resulted in Frank's arrest in the early 60s. The resulting jail time would inspire San Bernardino, which would introduce the character of Bobby Brown, and with his potato-shaped head, he'd lead us into Thingfish. That jail sentence can be argued as potentially the most important catalyst for the entirety of Frank's lyrical throughline, which would deem any sampled sex sounds highly important in the scheme of this big, big, big song. Of course, we do finally get around to I Have Been In You, and it's just as glorious of a rhythm and blues gem as it was the first time that Frank premiered it, and it leads us to a rushed closing medley of Dynamo Hum, He's So Gay, Camarillo Brillo, and Muffin Man. And when I say rushed, I do mean it. Camarillo Brillo especially sounds like Frank and the band were playing it as fast as they humanly could just to get it over with. Odd as it's a perfectly serviceable and catchy tune, but it doesn't seem like the kind of song that count as a must-play. Though hearing He's So Gay outside of the context of Thingfish actually works in favor of that song. Initially, the song seemed like a judgment call, a regrettable slice of, let's laugh at someone for their sexual preferences, but here it's just another one of Frank's doo-wop-influenced tracks with very tell-it-like-it-is lyrics. Almost like one would relay an anecdote on the evening news, but this one just happens to set it against a melody. But that's only half of this set, folks. There's a whole second disc, and that second half does seem to be another grab bag. Just more random live recordings arranged to flow quite nicely. A second reprisal of a full rendition of the Illinois Enema Bandit leads us right into a long and groovy jam with a violinist named El Shankar. 
While these mostly instrumental excursions keep you on your toes, the reprisals really start whizzing past your eardrums at a crazy clip, not just in sheer numbers, but also in tempo. You want Catholic girls, crew slut, and we're turning again? Cool. Frank has you covered, but the performances seem a bit... tired? Worn out? Now, they're consistently wonderful on a level of skill and precision, but Frank's vocal delivery starts to uh, really sound as if he's sort of checking out of this material, considering that these tunes were all recorded at very different stages in his career. It feels a bit intentional that these things all ended up grouped together, occasionally broken up with unexpected instrumentals like Alien Orifice. But once we get out of that cluster in the middle of disc two, an interesting thing starts to occur. We get the first reference to take your clothes off when you dance in what feels like eons. A bizarre piece where Ron Popeil's daughter, who you might remember from Teenage Prostitute, gives a dramatic soprano testimonial of her own life story, emphasis on sex of course, and then it's as if we intentionally rewind to the 200 motels period. We take a look at Lonesome Cowboy Burt with a few different vocalists and protagonists. We hit the vocal piece that played over the credits of that same film and bring this section of our big song to an end with yet another reprisal of Strictly Genteel. A particularly beautiful rendition from 1981 to boot. Why does this rewind seem so interesting, you ask? Because our next stop is going to focus on that 200 Motels era lineup. Those tape recordings that Frank would obsessively make in the bus between shows? We're about to hear those very situations that inspired the incredibly bizarre movie. While ZFT-59 seems a little tedious and plodding in some spots, it's starting to feel like this truly is one big composition again. Number 38, ZFT CD, number 60, Playground Psychotics, by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, released in October of 1992. As we connect to having just heard a suite of tunes from 200 Motels, we glide into anthropological recordings of literal behind-the-scenes work from that particular group of mothers. And truly, this is anthropological. This is an audio documentary. Remember the snatches of dialogue from Lumpy Gravy that don't seem to connect to anything? Well, those are here, but they're from real conversations, and those conversations would often inform Zappa's writing. As Frank somehow always had a tape recorder rolling, you can actually hear the sounds of that touring group losing their mind on the road here. We open on someone suggesting that they'd like to do a photo shoot with the group in the back of a real live garbage truck, and that's followed by the sounds of the band climbing into the scum and muck for photographic purposes. And that's just an average day on the road, folks. Dialogue where a group of not terribly normal folks have little in common besides their job and the shared experiences of what they're made to do to stay employed. Occasionally, you hear the band having conversations over the opening bands who are playing just on the other side of the flimsy backstage wall. You'll hear the band slowly realizing that everything they're doing is being recorded. 
You hear Jeff Simmons deciding that he's tired of Zappa's comedy music and should try to be a star on his own. And you'll hear him quit when Frank lets him know that he's aware of that conversation because he wrote that spiel out word for word for Jeff Simmons to say to a camera in the 200 Motels movie and soundtrack. Ever wanted to hear how band members react to stage hijinks when they're sick? Been curious about how a group might entertain themselves during yet another interminable sound check? Well, it's all here. It's graphic. It's alienating. And it's all true. Importantly, the two most true things about this double disc set are number one, undeniable proof that Frank truly acted more as a reporter lyrically, and the proof is in this sonic pudding. And number two, this really is one big composition. This connects to things we've heard before, but without those earlier sounds, there's literally no reason on earth for this album to exist and vice versa. Mark my words, you'd never once pull this album off the shelf because you're in the mood for some Zappa. In fact, Playing it out of the blue would be practically impossible to enjoy without historical context. If you're not way, way, way into Frank, this hardly even holds together as an avant guard piece, but in the context of the big song, it's awesome. It humanizes everyone, but possibly not Frank himself, as he's the spoken voice we hear the least of, unless they're on stage. And sure, he could have cut this down to just the actual songs that occasionally appear, and had a perfectly enjoyable live album of newly unearthed material from the vaudeville, Flo and Eddie years of the mothers, but that's not the aim. We're connecting the dots for a huge composition, and this is a massively important piece of the puzzle. Those musical portions, though, they are fantastic, and I'd go as far as saying they're without a doubt the most enjoyable Flow and Eddie material ever released in one place. Some highlights are uh, Brixton's Still Life, which is a very neat vamp for Frank to do, an uncharacteristically clean-toned guitar solo. There's wonderful wino in a version dominated by harmonies, and while the mixing and recording quality isn't the stuff that dreams and tears are made of, the performance rivals any version we've heard to date. Flo and Eddie were born to sing this song. There's a cluster of titles at the end of disc one that sees John Lennon and Yoko Ono jamming with the band, and they're clearly out of their element, but Yoko's weirdness somehow sits very well next to the feedback and breakneck tempo shifts and breakdowns, though it might not be suitable for everyday listening. There's an even more vaudeville take on Concentration Moon, as well as a slow and bordering on pretty reprisal of the song Mom and Dad, and possibly the most definitive take of the epic Billy the Mountain tale that we'll ever hear. was a bit of that almost pretty version of mom and dad that I was talking about. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 
100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. There's really no point in talking about the sound quality of this ZFT CD because this was archival stuff to begin with, and if you're listening as part of the big song, Playground Psychotics is indispensable. If you're wondering how it holds up as an album, it simply doesn't. It's alternately mandatory for some... and completely disposable for others, depending on who you are. But for this particular host of discography, it's full of... Ah, Ah, I get get it it now. now. Moments from all through this big song that I've been taking in. It only seemingly exists for those who want to listen straight through in numbered order of releases. And that's just cool as hell. You're right. I never should have joined the mothers. Why? I could be a star now. Week 39, ZFT CD, number 61, ahead of their time. Released by the Mothers of Invention in March of 1993. Wait, did we just rewind even further? Are we rolling right back to the mothers that predated the Flo and Eddie lineup? Is this group of mothers losing their mind on a European tour in, say, 1968? It seems so, but also to really connect our dots, this group of mothers is presenting a short stage play about half of the band leaving to become a more polished group ready to be stars. Yes, Frank Zappa, the Mothers, and 14 members of the BBC Symphony present a half-hour-long play about that very thing. It's known as progress? With a question mark. But it's ultimately the precursor to 200 Motels. We are absolutely rewinding through the big song, hitting on all of the big notes we've heard about being a musician, being a composer. Again, Frank allows the personalities of the musician to take over, merely narrating at times when needed. Occasionally, his voice booms over the PA to say, we're doing a play. But he's merely reporting on the mothers. He's not of the mothers. The orchestral pieces in this play would later, or earlier (laughs) be used in 200 motels as well as bits that would show up in various incarnations of bogus pomp and holiday in berlin however due to the technical shortcomings of the release a microphone on each side of the stage more or less the dialogue is nigh on impossible to make out the audience certainly sounds like they're laughing up a storm and the plot leads us to another buried zappa treasure known as agency man 
Unfortunately, this highly vocal piece is marred by the constraints of the recording, but there are better versions out there. It's certainly the musical highlight of the piece for me, and it wouldn't have been out of place on a studio album for this lineup. The reward for straining to hear all of the echo-laden nuances of this everything Everything that that will will ever happen happen has has already already happened happened story is a very, very sharp 40-minute block of prime live mothers from the era that everyone seems to like best. It's not beholden to vocals for the most part, either. It's just the band cooking along on King Kong, of course. And an unexpected reading of Help I'm a Rock leading into a formative riff on Transylvania Boogie. While much of the rest may seem predictable, themes that might have passed you by a bit early on start to become comforting. Like this version of Pound for a Brown that settles itself snugly close to the version we first heard on Uncle Meat and ditto for Sleeping in a Jar, which makes room for a few conducted knee and yeep vocalizations. But the highlight is the medley of stuff we've heard before from the lumpy gravy we're only in it for the money period turned mostly instrumental. Much like how we'd heard it done by the 1988 band on Make a Jazz Noise Here, but didn't realize just how early those arrangements had existed. You know, the let's make the water turn black, hairy you're a beast, oh no, Orange County lumber truck cluster bang. It's actually pretty soothing with the melodies taking center stage, and let's face it, Frank isn't really known by the average guy on the street as Mr. Melody, despite his obsession for writing dots on staffed paper. Our big song is clearly taking us through our paces before we wrap it up. In reality, while Frank was putting this together for release, he knew that his days among the living were all but numbered. He knew that the song would have to come to an end. These past few album-sized entries into the gigantic tune are proof positive that this does, in fact, work as a big song, with narratives that eventually intertwine, but we aren't done. And while this archival release is pretty cool, It sits among playground psychotics as something needed to complete the tune, but not necessarily Prime Zappa. What are we being set up for? Standing ovation on ZFT 61 ahead of their time to head into ZFT CD number 62, The Yellow Shark, released by Frank Zappa and Ensemble Modern, at least I think that's how it's pronounced, which was released in November of 1993. So we faded out of a standing ovation to fade into another standing ovation, but this one's different. Frank isn't playing anything. He's just here to introduce the conductor. 
And this is potentially what Frank always wanted. A group of musicians, a modern orchestra, they sought him out and they wanted to play his music. Sure, they'd be happy to take on some oldies, but what they really wanted was some new stuff to sink their teeth into. And as Frank had found time and time again, most orchestras don't want to play the works of a living composer, and if they do, they want tried and true material. They don't call it classical by coincidence. Now, I'm not nearly enough of a music theory type of dude to be able to explain the bulk of what's going on here, but here's the bullet points of what you need to know about this very, very, very important entry into the big song. Uh, one, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to pronounce ensemble modern some other way, like ensemble dear or something, but I'm going to get it wrong. Okay, so that's point one. I'm just going to call them ensemble modern and please forgive me. Ensemble Modern not only wanted to play Frank's stuff, but they were capable. They'd show up early just to practice, and this flew in the face of the human element that Frank had seemed to be attempting to write out of his work over the last few years, at least the new stuff. Ensemble Modern wasn't just capable, but they wanted to learn how to be even better. They'd ask for sh the sheet music for stuff that could supposedly only be done by a computer. And Ensemble Modern wasn't just capable, eager, and willing, they were also ready to work with the synclavier when needed. And the exhaustive liner notes that come with the compact disc version of the Yellow Shark, there doesn't seem to be much that Frank could dream up that they wouldn't eventually master. Everything that Frank had seemed to want was present. Seemingly pristine sounding renditions of tough material to perform and in some cases to listen to at all were presented to an audience full of people that wanted to hear this sort of thing. They wanted to hear Frank's work and they didn't even really need Frank to be there. The latter is important because on a sad note, he could only attend one show due to his illness. Technology had caught up with everything Frank dreamed up. Each musician had their own personal monitor on the stage. This was the exact opposite of nearly every orchestral endeavor that has popped up so far in the big song. Musically, we get stuff that's so definably Zappa that it's almost tedious to tell you about. Conflicting time signatures that add up to a fascinating hole to dissect? Check. Twinkly bits that don't seem like the human body was built to produce? Check. Especially on the holy cow, how'd they do that rendition of the girl in the magnesium dress? Atonal stuff that might annoy the crap out of someone who only knows Frank from Valley Girl? Check, check, check. More checks than I can say and that you'd expect. References to prior moments in our big song? Well, check. But here's where it gets even more interesting. It's an orchestra, right? So you'd expect yet another pass at strictly genteel, bogus pomp, or hey, why not a quick snatch of King Kong? But that's not what you've got here. Besides the aforementioned girl in the magnesium dress, your nods to the past are relegated to dog breath variations, the bebop tango, g-spot tornado, pound for a brown, but that's about as familiar as things get here. This is modern classical music. In fact, it still sounds completely ahead of its time despite the familiar violins, flutes, guitars, bassoon, trumpet, etc. But none of it sounds of this earth, yet it also seems impeccably done at the same time. 
Importantly, Frank is an American composer. And he's handing this collective based out of Germany some dialogue that absolutely puts his feelings about the United States on display. Food gathering in post-industrial America 1992 is a sly dig at those who seek to abolish abortion rights, while Welcome to the United States is a more or less direct reading of a customs form that folks had to fill out to enter America, delivered in a tone of voice that clearly tells one where Frank stood at the attempts at tightly sealing the lid on the USA's melting pot. If you are entering the United States by land, enter land in the space. If you are entering the United States by ship, enter uh, uh, sea in the space. But overall, on the whole, The Yellow Shark is reportedly the closest that we'll ever get to hearing the music as Frank heard it in his own head. And it's a long journey from Hungry Freak's Daddy to this unreal closing rendition of G-Spot Tornado, but the sentiments don't really seem to change very much. The only real ebb and flow is recording quality, musicianship, timbre, and how much humor is applied at any given time. The Yellow Shark is considered by many to be the last Frank Zappa album, but I don't see it that way. He had been working on another Synclavier record. He'd picked out artwork, he'd sequenced it, and it simply didn't make it into people's hands until he'd passed away. Instead, I heard the fading applause at the end of this album as our way of fading back, back to the studio, back to the composer sitting in front of his pages of dots, looking for a way to wrap this all up. The important part is that, as an album, I'll put the Yellow Shark in the masterpiece pile. Not because it's my favorite to listen to, but because classical work is a huge part of what this guy was up to, and they'd simply never gotten it more right than they did on the Yellow Shark. I might get more personal enjoyment out of The Perfect Stranger or orchestral favorites when I want the classical side of Frank, but this is absolutely, without a doubt, the finest example of Zappa's serious classical work performed by musicians that were up to the task. In some ways, The Yellow Shark may actually be the most important album Zappa would ever enter into the big song, but it only seemed that way once you heard the first 60 entries. ZFT CD number 63, Civilization, Phase 3. Released by Frank Zappa in October of 1994. This is Phase 3. This well, is, get this is through awesome. Phase 1 and all 2 right, first. Right. Here's Phase 1. The audience sits inside of a big piano and they listen to it grow. People are going to sit inside of a piano. Frank Zappa passed away in December of 1993. This album was released posthumously right around Halloween of 1994, which happened to be Frank's very favorite holiday. And this may be the hardest entry in the big song to talk about, not just because it's the last movement and I'll probably have to come up with a final summation, but also because it's so 
unbelievably impenetrable that when you take it all in as a whole, it somehow encapsulates a little bit of all that has come before, but when taken as a whole with the accompanying libretto, artwork, dialogue, and sounds, none of it feels like it's what you're being told it is. Nor can I tell you what it is supposed to feel like. It's so absolutely and positively ahead of anything in the entire canon, while also being seemingly unable to exist without said canon. It's avant-garde, but it also holds your hand. It's warm, but it touches on the coldness of both personal isolation and blind nationalism. This piece is somehow everything at once, and it doesn't really sound like anything I've ever heard before. pretty far away from mucking about with this album before I got here at this point. I didn't want spoilers and that was easy. It's usually rarely referenced. Songs from this album don't show up on compilations and it hasn't really been reissued in nearly any form since its first mail order appearance in 1994. Though it's the last fully fledged album that Frank would complete in his lifetime and that awareness is touched on in the record itself, people just don't talk about this much. Inside the booklet, there's detailed instructions on how to bring this opera pantomime to life on stage. The plot begins with the piano people from Lumpy Gravy. They live in a piano, naturally. According to the accompanying text, the songs would have come to life with these piano dwellers imagining nightclubs, Nazi pigs, a Christmas scene. Heck, Jesus shows up. New piano people are introduced and eventually the audience is to be sprayed with a toxic substance potentially the cologne or cologne from Thingfish. I don't know, this is heady stuff. There's no riding off into the sunset on a hopeful note here. You have to draw your own conclusions, though there are pretty finite points to the saga. People from Ensemble Modern appear in the piano. Frank's kids show up, presumably as themselves, but when the actual musical program kicks off, it's a little bit more comforting than it seems. You get the voices of Spider, Larry, and Motorhead from Lumpy Gravy, and some groovy Sinclavier music seemingly straight out of Jazz from Hell in the form of Put a Motor in Yourself, which you just heard a clip of. You're home. The big song continues. And Frank pops up much like he did in the play from Ahead of Their Time. Just a narrator with a booming voice, occasionally directing the chat of the piano people. There's an exceptionally twinkly piano-led piece called They Made Me Eat It, which is interesting in the fact that Ensemble Modern does occasionally play along, but the Sinclavier stuff has gotten so far out that it's next to impossible to distinguish what's real anymore, or what real even is. And that fits the story quite well as our piano folks start to question, well, what might be outside of the piano? And understandably, after more chat about pigs, ponies, and smoke, it turns a bit religious. Not just why are we here, but what's out there? And does it control us? Now 
seven acts begins a bit jazzy and devolves into sounding like a mixture of car horns and electronic musical instruments being tossed down the stairs while an erratic drum machine keeps it all together. We learn that the ponies are potentially the phony hippies from Who Needs the Peace Corps from We're Only In It For The Money as Spider talks about the manes of the ponies quote unquote getting good in the back. That's an interesting parable, as some cultish religious texts refer to hair as being a sort of antennae for receiving consciousness. And some think that's hogwash, and presumably this story's pigs feel the same way, but it's only Frank's job to deliver the concepts to us, not to make sense of it. Some of the piano people find it to be a bit too crowded in there. Some stumble upon graves and hear spooky voices emanating from them with suitably spooky music to underscore this development. And as we're mostly talking pigs and ponies, the, this buffalo voice could be a reference to an endangered animal. Hell, these might not even be people at all, and that's likely why Frank didn't seem to want the piano people to be visible in a stage adaptation, according to the liner notes. The first act ends with a nearly 20 minute long piece called Enlight. That's spelled capital N hyphen L-I-T-E. Without the liner notes, it's a perfectly enjoyable fractured piece of avant-garde composition if you're into that sort of thing. But with the liner notes, you see most of the first act and the history of American culture in reverse. Pigs and ponies reenacting ecological destruction, portions of the Bible, and then Jesus appears. He also tosses a grenade to kill off everyone that misunderstood his parables. Let me reiterate this for you. Jesus kills a bunch of people. Why is this album never spoken about outside of the diehard Zappa cultists? There is so much to dissect, so much going on musically in Enlight alone, which was reportedly so difficult to complete due to the constraints of technology at the time that it took multiple computers to get this rendition somewhat ready for this album. Just why is this one, the last album that Frank Zappa completed in his lifetime, relegated to obscurity? Jesus. I wish Motorhead would come back. Oh, wow. The second act kicks off with the disappearance of Motorhead. Music with lots of knee and yeep sounds. Sampled voices used as both melodic and percussive instruments and the revelation that at least one piano person once lived in a drum. Spider begins boiling down all that we know from this piano universe down to not so much talk about a big song, but rather a big note. We get the impression that this is one big piano as he claims that they live 4,928 octaves apart from the big note, which apparently was the beginning of everything. Much like Pete Townsend's idea for his never completed Lifehouse script, but that'd be a completely different thing to chronicle. Though I might if pushed. Anyways, we also meet new people from a different part of the piano. Some of these folks are xenophobic, specifically Mike, who threatens violence when confronted with languages besides English. 
Mike also believes that he owns the piano, and if not the piano itself, a large portion of space on or in it, which he claims to have purchased. Moon Zappa suggests that he buys even more, including surrounding swampland. And then a pig with wings dances while Jesus plays a piano like a guitar. Like you do. The music becomes less separated from the voices. In the first act, speech only took place when the music ceased, but now it's all coalescing together in a barrage of chat about NWA and Public Enemy, languages that aren't English, music that defies description, and the expected snork-type ephemera. The talks turn to monetizing people by installing dry or wet motors inside of them, cold lights, and the snork itself either signifies a pregnant sow or that you are turning into a pony. Like I said, this is pretty hard to talk about. It's a maddening barrage of concepts from all facets of the spectrum of imagination. You could pick it apart for eons. There's no chance of ever understanding it, but maybe considering it is, in fact, the way to enjoy it. And the question of how do I enjoy this will likely enter your head at some point, no matter how hardened of a Zappa nut you fancy yourself. For me, it was around Dio Fa, in which the synclavier and physical instruments become one with some throat singers. It's elements of tons of things I enjoy, but it's delivered in a manner where you'll never be fully prepared for it. It may always be too much. Importantly though, Spider and John realize that while they're in a piano, they might as well make some music. They also come to the conclusion that they don't understand the music they've made. We pull back from the piano and we hear the sounds of the rest of Earth. Dogs. Rain. Guns. Cars. Destruction. And that's it. That's where it all ends. The end of the big song leads me to believe that the concept is generally as follows. Everything is awful and has always been awful since the invention of time. Rather than question why or how, you'll have a better time if you enjoy some sounds to decorate the moments. It doesn't matter what it means, the creator doesn't even get it. But this makes the creator a sort of deity of their song worlds. They can control it, but they don't understand the moving parts or the impact. If you go looking for answers, you're going to end up being taken for a rather unpleasant ride, as no one truly understands anything beyond how to take advantage of those who seek. To crib from Joe's garage, the answer may have been there all along. Information, Information is not, not knowledge. knowledge. Knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom is, is not, not truth. truth. Truth is not beauty. Beauty is not love. Love is not music. Music is the best. I'll put Civilization Phase 3 in the masterpiece pile, but with reservations. 
It's a perfect end cap to all that has been and all that could have been. But it's also something that may not be terribly enjoyable unless you know the origins. And frankly, the barrage of concepts, tempos, and tones make me realize what an uneducated idiot I really am. This album is much, much smarter than I am, and that's reason alone to stick it in that masterpiece stack. There is nothing, and I repeat, nothing, like Frank Zappa's big song. It almost certainly did not begin as one. Freak Out was a double album just in case Frank never got a crack at music again, after all. I sit here in silence after the fade-out of Waffenspiel, blended into the sounds of my own house and my own neighborhood. That's the best part. Frank Zappa's big song can go on, technically, forever. If you want it to. And that's it, we did it! We made it to the end of Frank Zappa's big song. Thinking about in the future, well, I'll tell you in a minute. As I mentioned, my name's Mark with a C. It's been a blast to host this for you. And if you want to hear what I make up, you can do so at markwithac.com. If you like what I make, but you don't want to maybe, I don't know, pick up a record, uh, a vinyl record, or a compact disc, or a cassette, or a t-shirt or something, you can also support my creations over at patreon.com slash markwithac. Thanks to your support, I'm able to travel and do shows and make new records and really... It means the world to me. And, of course, rating and reviewing podcasts like this and all the other Consequence Podcast Network shows on iTunes or wherever you happen to be receiving them is huge to us. I'm sure you understand that, but it really does matter, and it makes our shows easier for people to discover, especially um, word of mouth. Word of mouth means a lot. If you know another Zappa fan who might find this entertaining, please share it with them means the world to us and uh, you know I think I'd be kind of interested in knowing where you'd like us to go next I will tell you that we've got a plan for the next artist we're going to cover and we could not could not would not be further removed from Frank Zappa than where we're headed next actually I think the next two artists have kind of we've already got it figured out but um, certainly we'd be interested in wondering who you might like to see us cover. Now, it's important that you know pretty much everybody that we're going to cover in discography will have sort of a a finite stopping point. We don't necessarily want to do artists that will put out a brand new thing very quickly and render what we've done obsolete. Um, The next artist, I don't know, they, they may... They may screw that all up for us, but it's really our own. It's our own problem. We picked them. But, you know, in the future, as you're probably aware if you're listening this far, Civilization Phase 3 was not the end of the line for Zappa releases. As of right now, I think we're up to 109 releases. Some of these were put aside by Frank as things to release, and some were put together by the vaultmeister, Joe Travers, but this... It's important that you know the ZFT numbering system, it's still there. And there's occasionally albums where they leave it off, like, okay, you're not supposed to listen to this in the chronology. And I was thinking, one day in the future, 
about reviewing all the posthumous stuff, picking up with ZFT 64, which is the Lost Episodes and Outtakes compilation, reviewing that as the posthumous big song. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Is that a thing that I don't know? Find the comments section, talk about it. Anyways, it has been a blast doing this for you. I can't tell you how much of an honor it's been to, to my knowledge, be the first person to actually review Zappa's work as a big song rather than just a clutch of albums. Got more good stuff coming up for you, not just here on Discography, but in the Consequence Podcast Network in general. Discography is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida at my home studio, and it's recorded and engineered by yours truly, Mark with a C. Special thanks to Chris Zabriskie for letting us use his track Air Hockey Saloon as our theme music and a lot of the instrumental and bed music that you've heard, that's Chris Zabriskie as well. So if you liked his stuff, well, let him know or listen to some of it on Spotify. It's all under Creative Commons. Thank you so much, Chris, and thank you to you for lending your ears. Hope you had a good time. We got more discography coming up. Stay tuned to your local social media feeds. We'll let you know when it's ready. I've been Mark with a C, and for now, I can't thank you enough, and I'll see you next time, my friends. Consequence Podcast Network. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.